0: Hi, this is Darius. Before we start, I want to let you know that applications for the Stanford C Transformation Program are now open through May 15th. I don't generally talk a lot about our programs on this show because I don't want it to sound like a big ad. But if you're listening to this, it means you probably want to grow your own business, and that's exactly what the SDB is designed to do. We'll have some more details about the program at the end of the episode, so if you're interested in applying, stay tuned. Now on to the show.
1: The challenges of a small and a medium business is very different from a large one. Chalk and cheese, I mean, it, it just you cannot compare the two. You know, a small business uh, you know, has to worry about recruitment, has to worry about retention. In a lot of cases, it's about day-to-day survival as well, cash flow management. Whereas in larger businesses, a lot of these things you, you take for granted. Whereas when you're running a, a medium-sized business, you're managing the entire business. And that's a different mindset.
0: Welcome to Grit and Growth from Stanford Seed, the show where Africa and South Asia's intrepid entrepreneurs share their trials and triumphs. Our next season is almost here. The first full episode of Season 3 of Grit and Growth launches on April 4th. So today, we're concluding our short take series with the story of Garav Kamani. Gaurav left his successful international corporate career to come home to India and sell ice cream. But he wasn't prepared for the unique challenges of running a small business. And when COVID lockdowns and power outages left his inventory melting on the shelf, he had to readjust. We'll hear how Gaurav adopted the CEO mindset and set an incredible goal to turn a regional family business into a billion dollar company.
1: Here's Gaurav Khamani. So uh, my name is Gaurav Khamani. I, uh, I'm, I'm the MD of uh, Prestige Ice Creams, the company that owns the brand Rolik. Uh, we are based out of Calcutta, and uh, we present all over East India.
0: So you're the, the number one ice cream brand in East India? Not yet.
1: India. Not yet, but I aspire to be the number one ice cream brand, definitely. I mean, ever since I was young, my, my dream was to be the CEO of a billion-dollar company, and that's what I intend to to make this company of mine. A billion-dollar billion company? A billion-dollar company. Uh, we are already a billion-dollar company, so… Yeah. You're almost there. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a few more years.
0: Garv wasn't always an entrepreneur. Before he had his own business, he
1: worked for major
0: companies, selling something a little bit different than ice cream.
1: Right, so the uh, bulk of my career was, was in the Middle East, uh, where I was uh, working for a retail company in which I managed uh, a cosmetics chain for them, a lingerie chain, and uh, a children's toys chain. And I also ended up launching a menswear brand for them as well in the Middle East. So four different product categories.
0: I'm I'm really curious. Were there a lot of men managing lingerie brands?
1: Well, the Middle East in particular, yes. Because, uh, I mean, women were not a big part of the workforce in the Middle East. So there were a lot of men. But the product manager of the lingerie brand in the Middle East always joked that, you know, the the products are designed more for men than they are for women. So that's why we have men managing (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: it. That's really wild. I mean, they say that fishing lures are designed to catch fishermen, not fish, right? They, they're so gorgeous in feathers and all that stuff. So why did you decide to get into ice cream?
1: Well, for me, I, I was out of the country. I was out of India for 14 years, and uh, this brand was up for sale. And I've, I've always worked for other people. And I the entrepreneurial itch came in when I was 35. Uh, my father-in-law, incidentally, has started this business, and... Uh, Due to his health, he was looking at selling it. I was his sounding board uh, on selling the business. And when I realized the amount of money that he wanted for this business, I negotiated a son-in-law discount and I bought it off him. And uh-huh. I moved back to India to realize my entrepreneurial dream. I've always, uh, I've always wanted to own something for myself. And uh, this was a perfect opportunity. Garf had plenty of experience and education in big enterprises but he
0: found that small and medium-sized businesses actually present completely different challenges.
1: You know, I have an MBA from INSEAD as well. Uh, I was 27 at the time, Uh, but a lot of education is about the frame of mind that you go in with. So when I went to INSEAD, I was working with this retail company in the Middle East. Uh, I'd taken a sabbatical and went there. And for me, it was all about managing large businesses. So when I graduated from INSEAD, you know, I knew that I wanted to manage a business, which you know, if, if anybody had offered me a business less than $100 million at that point in time, I would have like, you know, that's not me. I am from INSEAD and this is what I, you know, I'm, I'm, it's too small for me. Whereas the challenges of a small and a medium business is very different from a large one. Chalk and cheese. I mean, they just, you cannot compare the two. And I think a, a typical MBA program focuses more on, on larger businesses as opposed to the small and medium business space.
0: Yeah, so you're figuring out where you fit in in a group of C-suite executives Correct. or or something like that.
1: Absolutely. Whereas, you know, a small business, uh, you know, has to worry about recruitment, has to worry about retention. I mean, I'm sure all businesses have to worry, but, you know, at, at our level, it's, it's very, very different. I mean, the yes. challenges that a small business faces is very different to that of a large business. Yeah. In a lot of cases, it's about day-to-day survival as well, cash flow management. Whereas in larger businesses, a lot of these things you, you take for granted. And yeah. typically with, a, with an MBA, you know, they, they call you, you specialize, right? I mean, typically MBAs specialize in either finance or marketing, etc., because you're going to go into a department that does that. Whereas when you're running a, a medium-sized business, you're managing the entire business. And that's a different mindset altogether. Right. You're a CEO. I am the CEO, yes. Yeah, that's the difference.
0: To bridge the gap between his training and this new reality, Gaurav enrolled in the Seed Transformation Program.
1: What I loved about the Seed Transformation Program was that they gave us so many practical models to think through your business. Uh, Like the BMC, uh, the business model canvas, in which the whole organization strategy comes onto one page. And it is very powerful. I mean, I went through 17 iterations of my BMC before I was satisfied with the final one. I mean, it just blew me out of how we could fit in the entire direction of the business on a single A4 page. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a great takeaway for me. The other was the park model, people, architecture, routines, and cultures. I mean, it's very easy to change people. It's you know, relatively easy to change the architecture of the business. But what I learned there was it's the routines and the culture which actually have a much more long-term impact on the business, and that's where the attention needs to be, as opposed to the people and the architecture, at, at my stage of the organization. Mm-hmm. Today.
0: So, what's been your hardest day so far as the owner of this business?
1: Uh, the day we shut down for COVID. That, I would say, was the single hardest day because it happened right at the beginning of our summer season in twenty. We had the highest inventory levels uh, because we, you know, we were just getting into summer and uh, we really don't didn't know what was coming next.
0: So the country goes into lockdown. You're sitting on a massive inventory yeah. of ice cream. What happens?
1: I mean, if you ask me now, we never could have thought that it would last as long as it did. Uh, and the icing on the cake, when the country shut down in March and in May, we had the biggest... Uh, hurricane sort in in bengal i mean and we had a power outage for eight days in our factory we had to spend a lot of money keeping it running but as they say what doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger and i think we actually have come out of covid a lot stronger than what we went into uh, they were tough days i mean uh, you know we were sell- uh, we used to selling in uh, lakhs a day and uh, we were going in our building complex selling door-to-door you know a few hundred rupees a day i mean even that would make us really happy how big was your team at that time a total, we were responsible for about 150 people in the organization. Uh, we also had to downsize. We had to shut down operations in a couple of uh, states that we had entered. Uh, but the best part of it was how the team came together. I mean, we, we figured out the whole digital piece. We started having daily meetings uh, with our teams. We would encourage each other. I, I started sporting a mustache as well during the period which I which I took off. It was a lot of uh, a lot of anxiety. <clears throat>
0: What do you do to take care of yourself
1: personally yeah so i i have a very strict routine uh i'm in bed at nine every day i'm up at four so the first three hours of the day are dedicated for myself so i read i journal and then either run for an hour or i go to the, hit the gym for an hour do you have small children i now have a five month old daughter
0: Okay, good and, luck with
1: the plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily my wife, uh, my wife plays uh, you know, the best supporting role ever. She makes sure I get the sleep. And I usually am back home by 6, 6.30, so I get a good uh, two and a half, three hours uh, with the family to wind down and go to bed.
0: Well, we may all think that ice cream is absolutely essential, the Indian government did not. COVID lockdowns posed a huge threat to Garo's business, but it also gave him a valuable opportunity to slow down and reassess his strategy.
1: We had to really question the business. I mean, pre-COVID, we were growing at 25 to 30% year-on-year. Our average Kager for five years was about 27%. Really? Wow. Yeah. So we just didn't have the time to sit back and think. We were just managing that massive growth that we were going. And COVID gave us an opportunity to to step back and just think about our business, think about costs that had crept into the business, you know, because every penny counted at that point in time. Uh, So we actually had a great time taking out the cost, I mean, and really evaluating the business, looking at it from different sides. And and I think so it was a blessing in disguise.
0: What's the serviceable, obtainable market for consumer ice cream in India?
1: So the the total market size of ice cream in India today is 15,000 crores, Uh, so over $2 billion. Over $2 billion. Over $2 billion is the market today. Uh, And by the time I get to be making this a $1 billion, the market should have expanded to about four or five, because we're growing at a category of about 15, 16%.
0: So what's going on with Indian demand for ice cream? It's becoming a more popular consumer product, or...?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, for example, in the US, uh, the average person in the US consumes about 20 liters of ice cream a year. Whereas in India, we only consume about 200 milliliters of ice cream.
0: 200 milliliters, that's one cone.
1: That's one cone. But a large part of the population don't eat ice cream today. Uh, that's because of accessibility, electricity. Supply chain. Supply chain. Yeah, yeah. But also India has a lot of its own desserts. Fabulous right? stuff. I mean, we yeah. have fabulous own desserts of our own. But slowly but steadily, uh, people are moving towards ice cream. Uh, The the, the product itself, I mean, with a six-month to 12-month shelf life helps us get there, whereas uh, the traditional Indian sweet, uh, the shelf life could be as low as two days or or a week. So we're getting there.
0: So in your ideal world, you're a billion-dollar company that controls 20 to 25% of consumer demand.
1: Yeah. I I do see this market consolidating in, in the near future because there are too many companies and, uh, and very soon, economies of scale will, will make sure that we buy each other out.
0: Okay, so one path to growth is, is acquisition. That's correct, yes. Uh-huh. So what's the secret to making a million dollar ice cream company into a billion dollar ice cream
1: company? I think a lot of it would be discipline. You know, we all talk about strategy, we all talk about uh, marketing and uh, the sexiness that comes with that. But I, I think it's the day-to-day operations, making sure uh, you know the machines are running properly, the deliveries are getting done on time, good customer service, uh, product innovation, but it's the day-to-day management of things, execution. Gaurav's commitment to self-improvement is
0: admirable. I mean, the guy gets up at 4 a.m. every morning. It's a great reminder of the power of discipline for a business and as an entrepreneur. It helps you stay grounded during uncertain times and keeps you progressing towards those big goals, like a billion-dollar business. Of course, not everyone's appetite for discipline is the same. I think people might be intimidated by you. Why would that be? Anyone who wakes up at four AM <laughs> and spends three hours on self-improvement <laughs> is damn scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Just gonna be it. totally blunt with you. Okay. It's so intimidating because like the rest of us are like trying to drag our ass out of bed at eight. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Araf Kamani for sharing his story. And we'll be back next time with season three of Grit and Growth. But before I go, I'm personally inviting our listeners who are established entrepreneurs based in Africa or South Asia and have revenues in excess of $300,000 to apply for the Seed Transformation Program. As you may know, I'm not just a podcast host. I am also the executive director of Stanford Seed. SEED is an institute based at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, which, by the way, is why we get such incredible Stanford faculty as our guests. We partner with entrepreneurs in Africa and South Asia to help them build thriving businesses. The SEED Transformation Program brings Stanford to you. It's based in Africa and South Asia. It's also heavily subsidized by philanthropic contributions, and we offer scholarships. To be clear, this is not a Stanford MBA. It's a hands-on program for you and your management team with tools that you can apply to your business immediately and ongoing support from Stanford Business Advisors. If you're listening to this podcast on a regular basis and you own a business, I already know that you are a growth-minded individual, and that's exactly who we're looking for. So give us a visit at stanfordseed.co forward slash grit to learn more. That's stanfordseed.co forward slash grit. The deadline to apply for the 2024 cohort is this May 15th of 2023. This has been Written Growth with the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and I'm your host, Darius Teeter. If you like this episode, leave us a review on your podcast app. Erica Amoake Ajay and VN Virgin researched and developed content for this episode. Kendra Gladich is our production coordinator, and our executive producer is Tiffany Steves with writing and production from Andrew Ganem, and sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.